Latin Equity is a podcast dedicated to understanding the newest research and reports on issues impacting Latinos in education and the workplace. Our mission is to disseminate evidence-based, culture-validating microlearning content that advances diversity, equity, and inclusion for Latinos in the U.S. I am Angel Luis Velez, your host for Latin Equity Podcast. Hello, mi gente. I'm Angel Luis Velez, founder of Latin Equity Podcast. Uh, I'm excited to uh, get this fiesta started. Actually, I'm really excited for this episode number four. Uh, I have a dear friend and fantastic professor and scholar, Dr. Cecilia Suarez. Uh, today, this podcast will be exploring culturally relevant practices in research design and implementation. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Suarez. She was born in San Antonio, Texas, and she was raised by two strong women, her mother and grandmother. She's a proud first-generation college student. She earned a Bachelor's of Science degree from the University of Miami and majored in biology and elementary ed. She also received a master's degree from Miami University of Ohio and a PhD from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign in Education Policy Studies. Her research focuses on access and equity for students of color in higher education, particularly first-generation students of color, and access and equity of, of resources for communities of color. In the fall of 2016, Dr. Suarez joined the Department of Agricultural Education and Communication at the University of Florida as an assistant professor of leadership and intercultural communication and global leadership. She also serves as a faculty affiliate for the Center for Latin American Studies, the Education Policy Research Center, serves as the faculty in residence for Hispanic, Hispanic Latino Affairs, and is the inaugural faculty president of the Latinx Staff and Faculty Association at the University of Florida. She focuses her courses on identity development, ethic, social justice, access and equity, as it relates to leadership and has also given a tech talk on self-worth and internal validation. She also has a new book release uh, that she co-edited, that she's a co-editor and a co-author, and it's called Condition or Process, Researching Race in Education. And lastly, but <clears throat> she also won the University of Florida Graduate College 2020 Diversity Champion Award. Bienvenida, Dr. Suarez, to our podcast. Hey, thank you so much for that, Angel. You know, I had to I had to make sure people knew what it was. Um, hey, look, I'm all here for it. You know, <laughs> I, I, I love I love giving, you know, grand introductions to people who have put hard work to their craft. And I know you have. I know you personally from Illinois. So I'm really excited to have you in this podcast. I know you work for a very long time and I'm really excited for to chop it down with you and, and to learn about what you're doing right now. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. So how's everything with you in, in Florida? You know, um, some days I'm just trying to survive and other days I'm trying to press forward and keep the fight up. So, uh, you know, it's positives and, and not so positives, but I, I can't complain in the sense of, you know, my family is healthy. Um, I still have a job and I'm actually able to use my voice and platform to educate individuals about these sentiments of anti-blackness, right? That haven't been new at all, um, but it's new for some people, right? They have no, they didn't even know that this was a thing. Um, and so I'm able to use my, my education, right? My, 
my background to help individuals understand their part in the role so that way they can undo what they've been doing for their entire life for, for most people. So what do you think is that, right? Like, like black people and people of color have been telling us about anti-blackness. They have been telling us about racism. You know, what is it that people turn it off as if this is something that was, that is long gone, that is uh, not longer exists. Like, can you tell me mm-hmm. your thoughts about this? Yeah. So, you know, I, um, some people, some of my friends jokingly call me like the white student whisperer because I can help students, right. Understand where they, they are, right. How come they think how they think, right. Have believe what they believe, the values that they have. And what I've learned over the years of me teaching the classes I teach is that the students stay in the same communities that they're that they grew up in right and it's not just students you want to put grown-ups you want to put faculty you can switch out the title and put anything else in there but they don't leave where they grew up and so who's telling them grandma's telling them great grandma's telling them right like racist grandpa's telling them people are telling them these things and that's their truth right and you're on facebook right i've deleted a lot of people on facebook because i didn't like what they're saying but that doesn't necessarily allow me to understand what other people from different perspectives are saying So a lot of times they don't see it. And if they do see it, they chop it up to like a, well, I don't really understand. Maybe it's not that bad, right? Which is fucked up to be very honest because we're still having to show people receipts for for our experiences, right? Like, oh, you say it's that bad? Prove to me that it's that bad. And the videos that have been circulating about uh, Mr. Floyd being murdered, or like that wasn't the first video that has been out there. Like that wasn't the first time people have seen a black man getting killed on video by cops, but there was something about this and the people are like, Oh, I guess, I guess now you have proven enough to me that this is as serious as you say it is. And so now I want to do something about it. Right. I'm not saying that that's right, but I'm not going to turn anybody down for saying like, Oh, now I want to do something. I was like, you do. Okay. Now you have to do the work, but I really do think it's a, it's a combination of lots of things. People, being influenced by the people they love right the people they've that they've been socialized from but then also this like need to 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 prove that our experiences right that black people's experiences are as bad as they say they are which is not right um and i think that this video um and the countless others people have i guess been like oh well okay now 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 i now i do get it right like now your receipts equal up to what you've been telling me which is bullshit but that's what I think is happening. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, as a as a training uh, historian, I I understand that segregation plays a big part, right? Like these policies that people live in different communities, right? And then when they get out of that community, they're surprised that this is actually a thing, right? Uh, that this is the reality for millions of people in this country. And uh, is there's a sense that you know, uh, I, I've taught many white students at the University of Illinois. Uh, is there a sense you get that they are actually understanding a little bit more? Or do, do you have people that often resist or is it a mixture? You know, what, what is your experience as a professor now uh, at UF? Yeah, you know, it's a combination of both. So even though my department, my college is the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, which is a very unique fit for the classes I teach, Um, I get students from across the campus because my classes fulfill the quote unquote diversity requirement. And they also fill the quote unquote international requirement. So I'm getting students from 
pre-dental, pre-law, right? Mathematics, anywhere across campus. And what I've noticed is that it depends on the semester. Some semesters I get students who are like, I've gone to some trainings on my own and I sort of understand, but I wanna understand more. And then there's some semesters where I get the majority of the class that's pushing back on like, look, I don't, I don't think that, every, that I have privilege because I'm white, because you know, my family built their business from the ground up and blah, blah, blah. So it just depends on the semester. Um, there've been semesters that are harder than others. I would say this semester right now has been extremely challenging just because I'm teaching students about race, right? And their, their connection to um, racist structures and racist systems and with the outside elements, right? With everything happening real life, real time, that's, that's been a challenge. The other challenging time was in 2016, the last election, right? People were pushing back and digging their heels in, not necessarily because they believed everything, but because they didn't want to say, oh, well, maybe I'm wrong, right? Maybe the person I said I was aligned with is, is the very thing that we're, that we're reading about, right? The, the racist implications that we're reading about in class. So I think it's a mixture of both, a, mix, a mixture of they don't know, um, and then also a mixture of, well, I'm not going to tell you that I think I'm wrong now because that would make me look stupid. Or that would say, you know, if, if I admit that I think a, think a little bit racist, then I, ha I learned that from my grandma. So then I'm going to have to say that my grandma is a little bit racist. So I think it's a combination of both. Um, I've definitely had students in my class that will raise their hand. They're like, you know what? I realized that my grandma is a lot racist. And they just needed to say that out loud, right? And, and they're unpacking that for themselves. And then there's some students that, you know, you, you, I'm sure you understand, like they've graduated or they've since left your class. And then a year later, they'll find you on Facebook and send you some random message that's like, hey, hey, doc, remember when you said this, this, and this? Like, I didn't get it. But now that I'm in my first job or now that this happened to my friend, like, I didn't realize it was like that for everybody. Um, and so that is also something interesting. What I will say is that students have, it seems like students have an easier time understanding the, the magnitude of what's happening, right, of racial injustice in society at every level when they have a friend that has experienced something and they're close to that friend. Um, and so it's not necessarily the, oh, my black friend did this, but maybe they have somebody who is from a lower socioeconomic status as them and they've seen their friend try really hard, but not get the same advances in education, right? Like they didn't have a lot of AP classes, so now they're behind or blah, blah, blah. Um, they, it's easier for them because they believe that person, right? They know that that person is a quote unquote good person, has tried really hard, has worked just as hard as they have. And just because they came from a low socioeconomic status, they might not have the same advances or didn't get into UF or Illinois because they're their academic record wasn't as strong as somebody who came from, you know, name Whitney Young or, you know, any of the mm -hmm. Florida schools that are really strong. So that's been interesting to me because it's that their, that trust level is not given to everybody, right? That counter narrative, they don't believe everybody's counter narrative. They believe their friend's counter narrative that they're close to, but it doesn't move past the people they know, right? If they met you and me and we're trying to get them to understand that, they were like, I don't believe you because they don't know us. Um, and, and that's challenging also, right? To, to sort of swallow that not everybody is given the, the faith in the beginning, right? You're just like, well, I don't believe you because you're not whatever. Yeah, you, it's like you have to triple prove 
everything that you say. You have to provide almost a mountain of evidence for you to be trusted even like half of the time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how does that happen to you as a woman, as a scholar of color in, uh, as a professor and... <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 I, I don't know if I can go there with you. I don't, you know, Look, it's up to you. You, 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 know, you get yeah, to yeah. decide what to answer. That. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I feel you. Look, on a regular day, you and me could chop it up, right? Like, regardless. But um, I, I am junior faculty, right? Yeah, on I the get road that. to tenure. I get so that. I'm, so, um, so just give me the I answer. Can, just yeah, give me yeah. the answer that you think is. Yeah, yeah, no. So I am gonna keep it real, but you know, I also gotta protect my ass a little bit. So, no, yeah, no, understandable. What I will say, and and this is no, this is not a shock to anyone, especially for anyone of color in the academy, is that they the this notion of intersectionality or the understanding of intersectionality isn't a thing in higher education, right? It is for scholars who study it mm -hmm. and maybe, maybe for departments who say they focus a lot on it, right? Like gender woman studies or maybe Afro-American studies or Latinx studies. Mm -hmm. But within higher ed as a whole, it's not, people don't understand it and don't want to believe that we, that it's like legit, right? So for example, if I'm trying to talk to somebody and trying to share the reason why, um, I take a lot of time with my students or the reason why maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't turn out that article. Like I said, I was at the end of the end of August or whatever. I had to put it out in September and maybe someone's like, well, why didn't you do it in August? What else are you doing? And I have to try to explain all the students of color or the students who are marginalized in my department, seek me out to talk about shit that's happening with them in the department or in life in general right? Because as a PWI, it doesn't stop when you exit the campus, right? Like PWIs are situated in predominantly white communities. So that extends beyond the walls. And for me, I only know how to give 110% to my grad students in terms of support, because I was shown 110% as a grad student by my advisors and mentors. So for me, that's really important. But I, I think that, um, that's the big thing. So when I say, oh, I'm, I'm taking this time, my students need me, I've been told before, you can't be a savior to everyone, right? And I, and it's interesting because that was told to me by a white man that I can't save everybody, but he was talking to me in the sense of when I was talking about my graduate students of color. And so I'm like, well, what the fuck, right? First of all, because it's not that I'm trying to save them. I'm trying to have them have equitable access, right, to supports, to information that not everyone is getting across the campus. But it's seen as like, oh, you're, you know, you're, you're trying to save them. They don't need saving, right? They just need access to equitable opportunity. And so for me, that is the big thing that I think is really challenging is this notion of people don't understand the intersectional complexities of being a faculty or junior faculty of color. And then adding the woman aspect to that, um, is even more challenging, you know, at this point, I was uh, chopping it up with a homie of mine who's also a faculty member, and I equated the, the magnification of the need for diversity, equity, and inclusion workshops that are happening right now across the country for universities as like universities trying to like pimp out people of color, right? right. If they have in their department to be like, oh, well, I have someone in my department who can teach you about that because we make them look good, right? We keep the universities from getting from getting sued because we're trying to provide education so people don't misstep or misspeak or show their racist true colors. But here's the thing. 
look, with, between pimps and hoes, sorry for this analogy. I know it's a little harsh for those of y'all listening, maybe. Um, but with the pimps and hoes, I'm never going to be the main bitch, right? Like, if, if the university is trying to pimp me out, they can promise me everything in the world. They can promise me, oh, we'll give you this, we'll give you that. But I'm never going to be that main bitch. Like, I'm not going to be the person because, yeah, because I'm not, because I'm not white. You know, and so for me, right. that's that's the big thing is the lack of consideration, super lack of understanding of how my identities collide all at once. And it's hard to explain. Right. I've told people have told me, oh, um, well, I'll make a note of that in your file that you that you're struggling. What the fuck? Right. Like my experience has been made to a note in my file. Right. To say that I am struggling because I'm providing support to students. I'm like, that's so it's just so mind blowing. Um, but I'm glad that I have, that I have homies who are, who are in the game as well, who, you know, remind me in ways that I understand. For example, one of my friends is like, oh, you know what? You don't have to do all these DEI things that people are asking you for, because you know why? Because Becky and Bobby aren't, are still writing. Becky and Bobby down the way in the department don't do quote unquote diversity. So they're not getting called to do all these extra things. And they, those five hours you gave up to train people, those are five hours that Becky and Bobby stayed writing. So for me, that is a great translation because the only thing that's going to help us through in terms of tenure, if that's what people are interested in is, is you have to, you got to produce because they can't tell you that you weren't doing work, even though I might be saving their asses by doing workshops right now, right? Like that shit, when it comes up to tenure, ain't going to happen. So Right, is that you? You're having an additional labor uh, that is it's a tax, right? It's a race and gender tax that you are being taxed to do without the extra pay, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and and this has been written a whole lot by particularly black and Latinx women of color mm-hmm. in the academy, right? Uh, that they don't, you know, that they're always added on all this extra work without the, the compensation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not producing as much um, research because obviously, as you say, you have all, all these other responsibilities. Uh, and it's, it's obviously structural, right? It's, it's, it's systemic, right? And, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad that you give some of yourself to the students because, you know, we need it, right? You know, our students need it. And they need the extra work. Like, I needed that extra work, right? Like, maybe you needed that extra work when somebody said, "Hey, I got you. Let me bring you up with me, right? Mm-hmm. Let me let me cross you to you know to the next line so you become a a, a faculty member, right? Uh, I'm sure there were people there helping you along as well, right? Uh, so you know, it's almost like a cycle that we have to be in, right? Where we have to continue doing this, paying it forward, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, there's not many not many of us in the academy to do that work. Uh, so let me, let me ask you this, how, how that, how does that, these experiences influence like your research, right? And you, you mentioned, you know, as a Latina, right? As a woman of color, uh, how, how does that, you know, experience influence the way you see research, uh, you know, and how you approach it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely feel like it has impacted the way I view research and knowing that to do research, right? No one taught me how to do research before I got into my master's program, right? It wasn't something built in and it has been used time and time again as a gatekeeping mechanism. 
right, to say, oh, you have to do research or we're only hiring undergraduate student workers who have research experience. Get what? Legit research experience. I didn't know what that was about. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, me either. So for me, that is the clear indicator that that is how things happen systematically, right? And it, and it's, it seems so like simple at research one institutions because everybody's doing research, right? So no one's taking the time to explain it to our students that one research sounds scary, but it's not, it's not scary, right? Like it actually can open doors to you expressing who you are and you helping your community get their voice out about whatever's happening. But I, for me, because of my experience, um, I have made sure that when my undergraduate students, so I, I actually have a, um, a research lab that I, that I started this, this spring and, you know, COVID sort of uh, pressed pause just a little bit, but I have a wonderful undergrad and graduate researchers. And that was because students were like, hey doc, I wanna come, I wanna, I like what you do. Can I do some research? Can you teach me how? I'm like, yeah, I could teach you how. But what I realized is that most, most other people aren't, aren't bringing along students, right? They're not bringing along people who are like, I think I'm interested in what you talked about, but I don't know how to get there. Hmm. And so when you say, oh, we're doing a research seminar. Okay, well, I don't know what research is. And it sounds like what super smart people do, right? Which is also something that a lot of our communities hold on to is that we don't think we're smart. We know we're hard workers. We have we internalized think, it, yeah. Right, but we don't think we're mm -hmm. smart. So mm -hmm. you add all those things together, right? So our young kids of color don't feel like they can do this research. Um, and so I've made it a point to help people, right? To, to hold their hands while they go through this to help them decide like, is research what I like? Or if not, that's cool too. You can still come hang, right? Like we can still talk about whatever, but it, I help them not only think about how to craft a research from the ground up, but also help them go through the publishing process because that's something else too that I didn't know about, right? Like as an undergrad, I didn't know what, what the heck publishing was, right? Like if you ever thought that if I, if you ever asked me if I thought I would see my name somewhere in like published on paper, no, because who does that in my community, right? Like that wasn't something I saw. And so for me, that is a huge, huge like focus for me is making sure that I teach people. So that way, like when I'm gone, not to say like dying, but like, you know, gone to different universities that people, that the students can still do what they want to do, right? They can use it to help themselves, whether it be grad school, or maybe they want to work for, you know, a company that does that, or maybe they just wanted to get their feet wet. But the fact is like that's not been given equitably that opportunity to our to our communities of color um and for me that's that's really important the other way that i see the intersectionality piece and my experience impacting how i do research is that i'm very committed to ensuring that communities are not being used um mm, and, and just yeah um yeah. so you know, I was, I was bred at a research one institution, right? Like my PhD is from Illinois, right? So, and I'm very proud of that. I'm proud of the rigor that I was put through because I know that I, that I earned it. Um, but also being at another research one institution, right? Their similarities are, are ridiculous, right? They're so, they're so similar. Their colors are the same minus a few different shades, but like, it's so weird that it's so similar. Um, but the, the, the piece that I always am challenged with is the institutions, land grant institutions, right? Like we're supposed to be doing research to help, the edu to help educate the communities, but we usually turn to the communities to gain data 
to then go publish in places where these people will never have access to because it's not open source, because we use a lot of jargon. There's because, a paywall. <laughs> no, yeah. And so it's like, okay, so how do how is that helping the communities that you said you were going to go help in the first place by doing this research? So I am very quick to um, to to guard certain communities, right? I, I do not invite people on research that I don't think will be supportive of students' narratives. Or or, or I know you, you talked a little bit earlier um, about maybe they are they're wanting to paint a group of students or a group of community members in a in a deficit manner instead of acknowledging that there are issues and also celebrating the fact that they have done this, 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 and this. And so um, that is also something that has really taught me is this protection factor because I don't want people to be used consistently and constantly, um, which unfortunately is often the case, right? Like, Yeah, and, and um, I, I've seen firsthand how some researchers design their studies in a very colorblind, in a very, um, you know, trying to seek objectivity uh, in the research and when they collect the data, all these biases against these communities of color come out. Uh, you know, and I understand why you want to safeguard, uh, you know, these racially marginalized communities, right? Because we've seen it time and time again that when this research comes out, I'm like, what are actually you're trying to say about our communities, mm -hmm. right? So, so tell me a little bit about, you know, in terms of the design that you, what, what is your thought process in your design to ensure that, I know you have already a background in education, but sometimes we internalize that hatred and their, you know, oppression. How, you know, when you put it on paper, what does that process, process look like for you? Uh, you know, this is what I want to do. This is the question I want to ask. You know, can you tell me a bit about how that works? Yeah, so um, I'm a qualitative researcher by heart, right? So even though I, I'm, I'm good at mixed methods, right? Like, you right. want to do it? Let's do it. But <laughs> let's rock and roll. Yeah. Let's rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. But um, I prefer, and at the heart of it, is qualitative research. So for me, I, I prefer to do studies that focus specifically on whatever that community wants to tell me about that experience, right? I might be going in trying to ask about, mm, what are the experiences of uh, high school students who are from uh, migrant farming families, right? Maybe I want to know, like, what are these high schoolers experiencing? But I don't want to have specific questions that I'm like, okay, I need this answer, I need this answer, I need that answer, right? Even though that, sure, that would be helpful, right? That would be helpful for me for a grant or blah, blah, blah. But I want to go and capture what they're telling me is the most important thing that's going on with them or a bunch of different things that are going on with them. Um, so really going in with an opened mindset, um, I have a process of, of, of uh, writing that I'll do in like my research journal. And it's just for me to go in and talk about what do I know already, right? Like mm. where, where, where's my head with this? But then the second question that's really important is where's my heart with this, right? Like where is my heart and my feelings about this population, about my study, because if I can check my feelings and not saying I don't want them in there because that's part of me, but I want to make sure that I'm not going in with a mindset of like, ay pobrecitos, mira, like, oh, let me, you know, I, I feel some sort of way about them. I want to go in knowing I'm connected, right? Or I'm passionate or I'm pissed off, right? I want to mark these things down so I can at least 
acknowledge that going in, I have to be mindful of what my mental, right? And my, and my heart is going to be like, um, and that has been really helpful for me because I, I mean, I'm super passionate about what I do, right? right. And, and I can, <clears throat> I might see things that not that they're not there, but put more emphasis on them than what really needs to be, because maybe this is the thing that I think is important, or maybe I'm like, they don't have access to college applications. This is what needs to be highlighted, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, they might've mentioned that, but the main thing they were talking about is we need healthcare, right? But because my mind was focused on education because I'm an academic, maybe that's what I went to. So I, um, I do the journaling aspect. And then I also just have to really make a decision on my research team. Right? Like, yes, I, I do a lot of stuff for myself, but I also, like I said, bringing my graduate students and other junior faculty or faculty with me, I really have to make sure I train, but also trust that they will safeguard the, you know, the, the, um, the process, right? That they'll safeguard <clears throat> these people, um, these people's experiences. So um, I think that's the starting point uh, of it all. And then I've also brought in um, like a third um, data analyst to, to just make sure that I wasn't too close to the data, right? So some of the stuff I've gotten really connected to students in particular, uh, maybe communities that I've visited lots of times. And, you know, I'm very connected and close to the data. For me, it's also important to bring somebody in who I trust, who doesn't necessarily know the, the participants, but who can read the data for what it's coming off as. Um, to, to remind me like, yo, they said that, but you might be holding on to something emotionally that might be impacting how you saw it. Um, and that's really the case um, because I've gotten some awesome training by some awesome black women scholars. Um, but, but it's helpful. It's helpful to make sure that I'm, that I'm being checked because I don't want to impose my passions, right? My personal passions, whatever they are on someone else's narrative. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad that you brought that, you know, we all always need an extra pair of eyes in our mm -hmm. data and you need somebody who you trust who will tell you when you're right and when you're wrong. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. And to keep you honest, right. With the data. Uh, and I have to do that to us, you know, somebody who collects a lot of qualitative data, right, who, do, who does case studies, uh, you know, I have to be careful, right, because I want to do stuff about around race, and when I hear it, I'm like, hey, here it is, right, but I might be missing some other stuff that might be not as, uh, as said loudly, but it's still coming across, and I missed it because my mind is not in that, in that space, uh, you know, um, just to, uh, I wanna, I wanna take it back because in the introduction, I, I know that you mentioned you have a new book coming out, and I wanna give you some space to <laughs> celebrate that accomplishment. Congratulations on your new Thank book you. that is upcoming. I, you know, I want us to, to buy it, and I, you know, so Me give too. us some of the, give, <laughs> give, give us some of the details around, around it because I think it is, it is very timely. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, see, that's why that's why I love you because you show love, right? Like you support. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it, you know, honestly, it was supposed to be out earlier than now, um, but you know, production, right? You got signed the signed 
signed this, signed that, dotted I's, crossed T's. And then we were just waiting. And out of nowhere, right, right, right when this, when the shit started blowing up, they were like, it's coming out. And I was like, wow, like this, it didn't hit me at first. And then one of my um, co-authors, Dr. Ivory M. Barry, um, was like, you know that this is released like right now, right now. And I was like, that's wild, right? That's <laughs> wild to, to think that it dropped when it needed to. And so, you know, I'm thankful for the universe because I might not be religious, but definitely feel like things are moving in the direction when people, when people remain good at heart. Um, and, and, uh, it's, it's definitely a useful tool, right? I hope that people use it as a tool and not as like the end all be all, but something that can offer them, can offer anyone. Shoot. I, it reminds me every time I read the different chapters that we, that we matter, right? That our, that our narrative matters, our counter narrative in higher education matters and really complicates this very complicated issue of race and racism in education um, because it, people are asking us to, to simplify it right right now. They're asking us to give a 60-minute workshop on race and racism in lots of places. Or, you know, can you do a 30-minute workshop to... You're going to solve it. You're going to solve right. racism in 30 uh -huh. minutes. Yeah, because, you know, this thing just was just popped up as an issue, you know, last week. So it didn't, but, you know, I'm being... Uh, <laughs> sarcastic. <laughs> sarcastic. So that is definitely something that um, I'm very thankful for. And, and I have to you know, give a shout out to my, uh, uh, my mentor, right? My academic mom, Dr. Adrian, uh, Dixon, because she has taught me to do what I do now, right? Bring students along, bring people along who, um, who, who are asking for some guidance, right? Like, how do I do this? How do I, how do I publish something? How do I do a grant? How do I do any of this? And so, I don't know how to be any other way than supportive to my students because that's how I was raised right? in the academy. I was raised to be compassionate and to not sell my soul for, for anything, right? Like wh whatever it be. Um, and if, and if being passionate and being protective of populations and being supportive of my students makes me not get what I need to get, then it is what it is, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not naming any negativity. No, I get I'm, hope, it. I'm hoping for the best, but at the same time, like, I'm not selling my soul for shit. You know, like, I'm not doing that. Um, but yeah, so this book, I think it has a, it has a lot of different um, lenses for people to, to chew on, if you will. Um, I know the, one of the chapters that uh, Dr. Barry and I wrote focuses on being junior faculty or newly minted PhDs in the workplace and what that looks like being scholars of color who focus on critical race theory. Um, and, you know, I'm sure when you read it, you're going to be like, yes, you know, you're shaking your head, nodding your head, probably cursing um, a little bit here and there, but it's stuff that one, hopefully it's the stuff that is similar to the stuff that when I was coming through the program that I read and was like, well, dang, I guess I'm not alone. Right. Because, I've, I've experienced this, but didn't know that this was happening. But two, it's also like this preparation of like, okay, these are things we need to be mindful of. We need to, we need to ask these questions. So that way people don't go out into spaces blindly. Um, I know uh, one of our mutual me uh, mentors, I don't know if he still says this in class, but would always say like, if you don't talk to students and teach them, or if you don't tell children or teach children about race, 
and racism, it's like letting them get hit by a train. Mm -hmm. Like they, and so very similarly, I hope this book helps people um, arm themselves, right? Like put a little bit more ammo on um, when they, when they read it and, and sort of digest it and, and think about it because I don't want anyone going out there not ready to go. I, I, I saw the names of the book. I mean, you have a lot of heavy hitters. I mean, uh, it, it seems like it's going to be a fantastic addition to, um, you know, the work that needs to be done in terms of race, uh, you know, in the academy to, to name our experiences. And I, I'm really happy that, that, you know, you're in this inner track process, you know, that you're continuously to work on on getting it because we need more Latinas to be at that tenured uh, position. Um, and we often see, you know, people like, you know, um, I'm forgetting her name right now, but the woman at Harvard, the Dominican scholar that was rejected, oh, yeah. even though she was very well published and very well known, you know, that these things, you know, the decisions are being made mm -hmm. uh, by people that do not look like us, mm -hmm. right, often. so. So I really commend you for being in this process. I thank you for, for giving me your time and the opportunity to, to interview you for this podcast. I, I think this is going to be a hit. You know, it's going to be one of the, the episodes that is going to be on fire. So, uh, you know, you know I, I really thank you, you know. I appreciate it. No, thank you for letting me be here. Um, it's always nice to see you, you know, quarantine and all. It's still nice to see each other face to face on on camera, even though y'all won't see us. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I and I'm I want to say I'm I'm thankful for if anyone from UF is listening, I'm thankful for my job. I need it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but I'm also thankful for the ch for the challenge, right? Like I right. don't know what I would where I would be if I wasn't able to teach what I teach um, and research what I research. But I. I absolutely love teaching like that. You couldn't tell me long ago that I wouldn't, that I would be doing this. Um, but this is exactly where I need to be in teaching um, because I love it and I'm very passionate about it. And if, if that was taken away from me, then, then being a professor wouldn't even be a thing, right? I'd be like, I don't want this anymore. So I'm very thankful. Um, I'm also thankful. I want to, and I know my students won't be listening to this, but I do want to name my students. Um, of all races and ethnicities who have gone through my classes because they have taught me a lot um, about their lives or about myself. Um, and we never see eye to eye. And that's the point, right? That we're not supposed to see eye to eye, but I'm supposed to see you and you're supposed to see me. Um, and that has been just amazing. And so I, you know, even my, my hard, the hardest head of hard head students that I've had have been like my favorite because they they're all in right they go they they jump right in they're trying to do some work and we you know we meet somewhere in the middle and so I'm very thankful for that um and I really do appreciate that I appreciate my grad students and of course you know love you mom uh, <laughs> but yeah thank always, you. Right, always. right love you mom um but I appreciate I appreciate this time you know, I always come back. I'm always good for a lot of curse words and hopefully a lot. I, lo a little, I love it. I, I a little mean, bit of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you so much. This was enlightening for many of us who will be listening to this podcast. And I look forward to having you again. Bless. Me All too. Right. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Have a good one. You too.